solid sense as a bounty hunter for people of the way or for Christians. He was going to kill them. He had letters to do it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. We are studying the Bible. Go through the Bible. Bible Discovery TV from Revelation or from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Today, we are looking at Acts chapter 9. This is a very interesting verse of scripture. And as we look at these 16 verses in chapter 9, we're going to do that in three minutes. So stay there. It's going to be a good one. Corey? I am taking a look at Caesarea that we read about here in Acts. Ryan? Today I'm doing a background study on Paul the Apostle, formerly called Saul. Very good. That's excellent. And Janet? The power and authority of Christ. All right. So get out your Bible guide. If you don't know how to uh, get a Bible guide or you don't have one, you can find out in just a moment. We'll tell you how. And let's open up the Bible and look at what God is saying to us as we read Acts chapter 9. Acts 9, 1-16 Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. 
Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 16. Acts chapter 9 and 10, we continue reading the book of Acts. The recording of the kingdom of God's early expansion continues in the book of Acts with the noon soon-to-be apostle, and his name was Saul. Saul was directly confronted by the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, originally from Tarsus. Saul had trained to become a separated one, or a Pharisee in Jerusalem. This was a strict party within the first century Judaism. Now, what made Saul an unlikely choice was that he firmly believed in that right way to handle the followers of Jesus was to arrest and even kill those who would not renounce Jesus Christ. In fact, the reason Saul was headed to Damascus was to continue this mission. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus said. And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. (laughs) Acts chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. Now, this is interesting because this began Saul's dramatic about face. Over the next few years, Saul would grow in the Lord, beginning by going by the name of Paul and eventually becoming one of the main missionaries in early Christianity, Paul the Apostle. This is absolutely stunning. It's, 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 it's fascinating. I, I just, I use that word a lot because we, it's just, there's no other way to really describe it as we continue to go in the New Testament. Turn your Bible guide to Acts chapter 9. This is suffering for Jesus is what it's called. If you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And Father, we pray today in Jesus' name as we look at this, that you would speak to our hearts and help us, Father. Because this is interesting. And there may be some who don't truly understand who you are. May they see it today. In Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. Now, let's go straight to the scripture because this is great. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Here's what it says. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were in the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Man, this guy was something else. Saul was sent as a bounty hunter for Christians. I mean, he was after them. He was the persecutor. There are still many people who would like to stop the church today. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about the church building. I'm not talking about the church as an institution. I'm talking about the people who are the church, the people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. Many of them in refugee camps, many of them in other citizens of the world, many, it doesn't matter what country you're in. There are many people who have given their lives to Jesus and love the Lord. Keep that in mind. People want to stop them today. That's why the persecution is so steep right now. Acts chapter 9, verse 3, here's what the Lord says. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. 
Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you? Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Which brings me to this point. Jesus Christ confronts Saul directly as he does to all of us. The Lord changes things when he confronts us. The Lord changes things when we are confronted, changes our life. You know, we don't get saved and then continue doing our life. God shifts us, changes us. And that's important. We have to remember that. Now we could talk more, but we need to go on. Now this is where it gets interesting. I like to talk about this because here we go. 9 verse 7 says, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He was blinded. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He's in the city. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drink. Now, I love this here. Watch this now. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. <laughs> and to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, I want you to arise and go to the street called straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Oh my goodness. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. I have, I, I've heard of me, how much he has harmed and how much he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who are calling your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he has, he has a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. This is great. Ananias, man, he was a faithful disciple of Christ, but he was afraid when God told him to go and heal Saul. He was terrified. He knew about Saul. Beloved, there are times that we are afraid to do what God tells us to do. Now, I don't know if you can imagine this, but Ananias, he hears about Saul. He's in Damascus and they're saying, watch out because this guy's coming. He's, he's got letters from the synagogues. He's coming after you. That's all he heard. And he's praying about it. Oh God, we need to be safe. Help us, protect us. And God comes to him in a vision and says to him, listen, Ananias, the guy who you're worried about, I want you to go to him. Here's where he is on Straight Street. There you go there, and he needs healing. Ananias says, what? What are you talking about, Lord? Are you sick? What are you? God says, listen to me. I want you to go. <laughs> well, he goes. 
And Saul's there. And he says, I'm Ananias. And Ananias lays his hands on Saul's head. The one that, the brain that killed all those people. And he says, in Jesus' name, open your eyes. And Saul, who becomes Paul the Apostle, is given his sight because of the obedience of Ananias. Everybody does not think about Ananias. They think about Paul the Apostle, but they should. What is God calling you today? Don't be afraid. Just do it. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. All right, so today we read about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, uh, now known to us as Paul the Apostle. And with that, I want to do a background study on this man so that we can trace the history of his incredible journey to God. Now, of course, before he met Jesus Christ, he was a Pharisee and was on a mission to slaughter all those of, quote, the way, which is what Christianity was called at that time. But Saul had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ that completely changed his life forever. Take a look. Paul the Apostle, though Jewish both by race and religion, was a citizen-born resident of the Greco-Roman city of Tarsus, which was by Paul's own description no insignificant city. Indeed, Tarsus was the capital of Cilicia and was a major city in Paul's time, probably boasting a population of half a million. Significantly, it was a university city, which ultimately surpassed even Athens and Alexandria. It had a level of political independence, and as a port city, was a major center of trade. Indeed, Tarsus was best known for its Sicilium, a cloth woven from the hair of black goats, used in the making of the famous black tents of Tarsus. It is no surprise, therefore, that Paul's trade as a resident of this city was a tent maker. Tarsus was undoubtedly a part of the Greco-Roman world in which Rome governed, but where Greek culture pervaded. Even the Romans were Hellenized as they were greatly influenced by Greek art, philosophy, dress, athletics, and religion. Interestingly, Paul was both a citizen of Tarsus and Rome, two distinct and very privileged positions, suggesting that he was from a wealthy and influential family. Yet Paul primarily regarded himself as a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees, the strictest of all the sects of Judaism. Thus, Paul, theologically, would not allow himself to be Hellenized. Still, writes Robert E. Piccarelli, although not Hellenizing in religion, even as a Jew, Paul's background was in a Hellenistic world. As a Greek-speaking native citizen of busy Tarsus and mighty Rome, his outlook could not help being affected. There is clear evidence of that effect in the picture of Paul we get in Acts and in his writings. He knew and quoted Greek poets, he obviously enjoyed the Greco-Roman athletic games, and used them often as illustrations in his letters. As a committed Jew, young Paul left Tarsus for Jerusalem to become a rabbi. He studied under Gamaliel, and according to Paul's own account, he excelled in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries. 
Indeed, he became a respected rabbi and might have even been a member of the Sanhedrin. Paul would eventually even come to be the driving force behind the very first persecution of the church. However, while on his way to Damascus, the one whom he was persecuting dramatically confronted him, asking Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was this encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ that began to turn this murderer into a missionary. He had come to persecute Jesus' name, but he would leave to bear it. Indeed, though unbeknownst to Paul, he, with his Greco-Roman background and his training in the scriptures, was God's chosen missionary to the Gentiles. In fact, almost half of the New Testament canon is attributed to Paul, and he was so influential that besides Jesus, he is the one credited with the establishment of Christianity. So Paul's encounter with Jesus Christ and his conversion is so amazing. But what's even more exciting to me is that this sort of stuff is still going on today. Now, while people might not have had as dramatic as an encounter as Paul did, I have heard a lot of testimonies of people having dreams and visions of Jesus Christ, and it changes everything for them because they finally come to the knowledge that Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except through him. And why can't we get to God without Jesus? Well, it's because of our sin. Our sin is what separates us from God. And there's not a person on earth who is without sin. And the penalty for sin, even just one sin, is death. But that's why God came himself in the flesh as Jesus Christ and lived that perfect life that none of us could and then gave himself for us as a perfect sacrifice to pay for sin. Now, all we have to do is repent and trust in Jesus's work on the cross and that it's his blood and righteousness that makes us right before God. I'm out of time for now, but I do recommend that you read the book of Romans, which was penned by Paul, because there he presents the gospel very clearly. Yeah, it, it really is true, Ryan. Thank you for that. That's very good. We come to Christ. We've done it many times on the program, but people need to know that and understand it. Very good. Thank you, Ryan. Corey? All right, we're taking a look at Caesarea today, also known as Caesarea Maritima. It was a coastal city a really important coastal city in ancient Judea in the first century because Jerusalem wasn't the capital city of Roman Judea. Caesarea was. Uh, Caesarea by the sea, Caesarea Maritima. And a couple times in our reading in Acts just over the last couple of days, we found ourselves in Caesarea. Remember Philip, you know, the Holy Spirit moves him around and he goes preaching through cities until he comes to Caesarea. And then here in Acts chapter 10, Peter gets divinely called to go to Caesarea to preach to the Gentile Cornelius and his entire household, and it ends in a very interesting way. So let's take a look at Caesarea. Caesarea Maritima was a grand port city on the Mediterranean Sea built by Herod the Great. It was built on an unhospitable stretch of seashore over top of a small rundown village, and on a scale so large and costly, it took around 12 years to build. Herod's first feat was to construct a massive harbor in an area of sea that was notoriously difficult for sailors, having no natural shelter from storms. Herod did this by constructing two huge stone breakwaters that enclosed a three and a half acre area of sea. The breakwaters extended a third of a mile out into the ocean and were about 200 feet wide so that ships could dock and unload passengers and cargo. And the shorter breakwater even boasted towers. 
At the sea entrance to the harbor, it's recorded that Herod erected six colossal statues, three on either side. The city itself is named after the first proper emperor of Rome and the man Herod had worked political deals with, Caesar Augustus. And a city named after the emperor, and built by Herod the Great, had to be illustrious. History records that Herod built the city not with local materials, but with expensive, impressive white stone. Fitting to its name, Herod constructed a large temple to Augustus on a hill of the city, and a massive statue of the emperor to live inside it. He built Caesarea's famous theater that has been excavated and is still used today, a hippodrome for sporting events, and numerous public buildings to support a grand lifestyle for Caesarea's population. To facilitate this population, a sea-flushed sewer system was constructed, along with massive aqueducts that carried fresh water to the city. This aqueduct was partially underground and famously partially above ground. Its beautiful arches are still a major tourist attraction. Though, as it stands now, the aqueduct was expanded to carry a secondary channel of water by Emperor Hadrian in the 2nd century AD. Not to be outdone by the beauty of his city, Herod also constructed a shoreside palace for himself. Archaeologists have mused about how Herod seems to have enjoyed overcoming nature's barriers to human construction, and this palace is a good example. Built on an outcropping of rock extending into the sea, Herod's palace had a large freshwater pool at its center, fed by man-made underground channels. The pool would have had a large statue at its center, who it would have been of is up for debate. The pool was surrounded by walls of pillars to see out into the Mediterranean, and with large flower baskets, it would have made it seem like an oasis. Guests could come and go directly from their boats, and the palace was no doubt decorated to inspire awe at the grandeur of Herod. After Herod's death and the creation of Judea as a Roman province, the procurator or governor of Judea lived here, at Herod's Caesarea Palace. So there we go, really interesting seat of Roman power with some really cool archeology span to boot. Yeah, you know, I've been there a couple of times and mm -hmm. I've seen the houses. It is really fascinating. It's cool and there's layer upon layer of archeology span there. Yeah. But pretty amazing how you can see, still see the remnants of the Herodian Harbor well, and that's the palace. It. Yeah. That's it. And uh, you know, they, we, we spent some time there and we did some taping there and everything else. It was absolutely stunning. I would like to spend some time there and do some taping there, maybe in the future. Okay, maybe we will. Well, yes, because yeah. sounds good. The time that your dad's <laughs> talking about you and Ryan, Brandon wasn't even born yet. Itty you bitty. and Ryan were just we were itty bitty. young. Yeah, and I That's stayed true. home, so I didn't go either. That's true. <laughs> one of these days. Yeah, one of these days, very soon, we're going to do that again. That's I look forward to that. But we have to ask God to help us. Anyway, go ahead. All right. The power and authority of Christ. Isn't it exciting when you're reading the Word and, and all of a sudden something jumps out at you that you know you've read a thousand times, but in just the reading, it strikes you differently? As I was looking at this Damascus road where Saul was converted, you read here in Acts chapter 9 that Saul, it says, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, those were the people that followed Christ, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul came with a name. He was famous for coming after Christians or people of the way. And, and we see this uh, 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 
Saul meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he's 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 chained, uh, changed. He can't see. And now there's a certain disciple that we hear about named Ananias. And the Lord is telling Ananias, I want you to go, and here's what I want you to do to Saul. Now Ananias knows who this Saul is, and, and he talks. And this is what struck me. And so God has said in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. This is Jesus talking to Ananias about Saul. Verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Verse 14, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. And I I got struck with, he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But then it goes on, but the Lord, in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Jesus has all authority. Saul may have had the authority from the high priest to gather the Jews together, to bring them bound, to put them in prison. Some of them were tortured. Some of them were murdered. He had the authority from the high priest, but Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. And Ananias had given Jesus Christ all the authority in his own life. He was a disciple. He was a follower of Jesus. And so knowing the danger that he could have been in, Ananias chose to follow the authority of the word of Jesus and do what Jesus commanded him to do. And I'm not sure whether Ananias went with confidence or whether he was a little bit intimidated by this man Saul. And there are things that God will ask us to do as well as his followers. And we may have all of the strength and faith and confidence in the Lord, or we may feel that fear But when we give all authority to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is his power and his authority through us that we will follow and be successful for the kingdom of God. Well, our phones have our program, Bible Discovery TV, and through Android or iPhone or whatever phone you have, go to the store you you buy your material from and look for it. You don't have to buy it. You look for it, and it's free. But I want to tell you that because our program is available on your phone wherever you're at. Let's pray today. Lord, give us courage, courage and help that we need to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.